Well, according to most available statistics, when we look, about 50% of marriages end in divorce. And if you look at the reasons for divorce, usually it's infidelity and finances. But I want us to realize it's a lot deeper than that. As we get ready to talk about biblical marriage, I want you to know that the reason's really not infidelity. The reason's really not uh, financial in most of these cases. It's a lot deeper than those two. That's kind of just, just looking at the, the superficial part. The, the part is that we as a whole don't really see marriage in a high view. We, we kind of have this low view of marriage, and it starts as children, and we watch these movies and these shows that have these happily ever after endings, and, and it's like, oh, well, this is it. Well, Pew Research uh, has, has shown in America, 88% of Americans do actually get married for a love, and that sounds really good. It's like, okay, you know, some, some cultures are different, and it's like, okay, well, 12% of those people aren't in love, which is, I don't know why they're getting married, but, but the other 88 were like, oh, that sounds great, but the problem is this wonderful reason isn't so wonderful when we really look deeper in it, because the real reason that most people get married is not because of biblical love, it's because of self-love. And you hear people talk about their, their future spouse, their fiancé, or, you know, it's like, oh, well, she makes me feel this way. He makes me feel this way. He does this for me. You should see how he does this and how, how great. You should see how she does this for me. She is, and so there's all these talks, and er, all of that is self-love, right? And, and then we could even move forward and say, okay, we get that. You know, there's, there's an error of self-love there, and so we should love the other person, but even that pales in comparison to what biblical love and marriage actually really is because here's the thing now it's all about that person and so now instead of that person who you know you love them because of how they made you feel and and then all of a sudden they quit and this the idol of self wasn't wasn't worshiped correctly and so now that makes you but now the idol of that person is now what determines whether you're happy or not are they happy are they doing this and so now instead of being a self-idolater now you're a person idolater and so that still misses the mark in biblical marriage. This love, uh, it, it seems like it's Christ-driven, but it's really elusive when we're kind of looking at that. Of course, we should love our spouse. Uh, that, that, that is, that's, that's, a, that's a guarantee. We should love our spouse, but I guarantee if you ask 99% of couples who are engaged while they're getting married, I guarantee most of them are not going to say to glorify God. That's why we're getting married. We're getting married to glorify God and to raise offspring who glorify God and go out and make disciples. Even strong Christian couples, I guarantee 90% of them are not going to say that reason. They're going to have a different reason. It's going to be, well, they make me feel this way, or I love them, or they're the best thing ever, all those kind of things. But Malachi 2, 15 through 16 says this, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife or your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garments w- with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not be faithless. So we see that God loves marriage and he hates divorce here. And we see his reasoning is because he desires godly offspring. And the best way to raise godly offspring is in a union, and a great union between a, a man and a woman who have made that covenant under him, Right? But we understand this is a tough teaching, and many of people, many of us, even maybe here, many in our society have been divorced. And praise God, there is redemption. And so when we start all these kind of messages, a lot of times if you've been divorced or somebody has been, 
they're just like, oh, I'm out. Like, I'm going to tune out because I, I don't, I don't want to feel that guilt and that shame any longer. But here's the thing. God forgives us. We, we can be forgiven. So I pray that as we enter this biblical marriage talk, this, this sermon, as we look at the Bible and what God has to say, that we're unashamedly pro-Bible, that, that we don't act like maybe what we did or what our, our past you know, divorced spouse did as okay, because God doesn't like divorce. He hates divorce. But we realize that God can redeem anything. If you're a single parent, God can redeem that. He is the perfect father, and he is always there for us. So if you're in a broken home, if you're in something like that, I pray that as we go through this, that you just take this truth in and you apply it. Because here's the thing. Some of you may not be planning on getting remarried. Some of you are never going to get married, and God has just called you to singleness. And you're like, well, how does this really apply to me? I'm, I'm not even going to get married anyway. Well, here's the thing. I guarantee you're going to have people in your lives that are married. And how are you supposed to speak into their lives and help them through things if you don't know what God's word says about it? So whether you're going to be married or maybe you're, you're not married yet, and you're like, well, I'm not having to do that yet. I know, I mean, I'm like, well, this is the best time for you to hear it because you need to learn beforehand what God calls you to do and what God calls us in marriage. So I pray that we all realize that even if we're not married, even if we are divorced, even if things have happened in our past, we're a single mom, single dad, this all still applies to us because it's the Word of God. It's living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And so as you listen to this sermon, uh, may it not be my words, I pray that you hear the Word of God and that we talk about what He has to say. So let's go ahead and jump in. Colossians 3, 18 through 19. We're going through the book of Colossians right now. And that's one thing about teaching expositionally. You get hard verses like this. So I preach straight through a book. I don't skip around and take topics that are really easy and say, well, I'll teach you how to be a nice person. You know, I'll teach you how to love your dog. You know, I, those are things. I'm not, I'm not going to do topical studies that way. I, I want to take the scripture that comes to us and, and preach through it. So uh, obviously you'll know that I, <coughs> I kind of came to this one. I didn't just choose this. So Colossians 3, 18 through 19, especially in our society. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Yeah, we came to that in case you want. I didn't just pick and choose that one. Uh, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And then a, a parallel passage here, Ephesians 5, 32. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being able to gather as a body of believers. Just so exciting to be able to get together, that each one of us has the Holy Spirit, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago that we are all the temple of God. And so when we, when we come together and we sing, as we just sang some worship songs, God, just we pray that you are glorified through that. It's so exciting just to see people singing <coughs> and lifting their, their voices up to you, uh, God. And I just pray that you've been glorified and magnified through our worship, through our singing. And I pray that you are glorified and magnified through the worship of your word, uh, worship through your word, God. Uh, that we're able to worship you as we allow the word of God to change us from the inside out. God, convict us in any area that we're, where we're struggling in this. God, we know that the enemy seeks to kill, steal, and destroy, and that he is attacking marriages across America. That he's also taking those marriages that have been attacked, maybe even been destroyed, and he's heaping guilt and shame upon those who have went through that. So God, I pray against all of that. I pray that your grace and your mercy finds us all, and that we're able to, to grow and, and learn and, and grow through your scripture today. We love you, and we praise you, and we thank you. Amen. All right, so the first point we're going to get here is Christ is glorified by godly wives. Christ is glorified by godly wives. I'm going to reread verse 18 again here. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. I don't think there's any, ver any word in the Bible other than the word submit that has been misconstrued and misunderstood by the world. 
and by the church, to be honest. Uh, frankly, many pastors and theologians skim over this or explain it away or spend time trying to avoid this. That's why a lot of pastors do topical, Bibles, or topical sermons so they can skip over verses like this. So they don't have to deal with it. But God, but God has given us this word, and we want to understand it, and we want to obey it. So because people have ignored this idea of submission and gender roles and marriage, it's led to diseases in our marriage. Uh, can, can many of you think uh, that marriage would be better if we just disobeyed God's word? I think that's what we've been doing, and obviously we're seeing it's not going great. And so I pray that, that, that we just see that there is a disease in marriages in America and that there's a problem. And so what is that problem? And here's what God's word has to say about it. When we come to this word, though, I want us to, to move one step forward, though, before we get into the word submit, why are we to submit? And, and if we look at this, at this verse here, what does it say at the end? As is fitting in the Lord. That's also is, as is, is proper or appropriate when we get to that. So I think we need to know that this, wives are to submit to their husbands because it's fitting in the Lord. It's appropriate. It's obedience to the Lord. It's what he has commanded us to do. Uh, so we talk about worship, and we can worship with singing. We can worship through the word. We can also worship through obedience. And this, this is one of those areas that God has called us to, to, uh, to, to, to do as wives uh, and as husbands. We'll, we'll get to that here in a minute. So despite what most liberal pastors and theologians try to explain away with this word, the Greek word here is very, very clear. Uh, hypotasso is what it is, and actually looks like hypo if we're looking at English. And this word means to obey, to be subordinate, to place, or arrange under. Everybody's like, oh, did he really just say that? Like, that is what the Greek word here means. This is not me speaking. This is the word of God. This is what it says. So, th like, we use the same prefix, hypo, like, to mean underneath. So, hypodermis is under your top layer of skin. Uh, so, so we, 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 we see that. This, this word's even used in English. But now I understand one thing. That word does not mean less in value. It does not mean that one is greater in value than the other. It's actually a military word that we see, that we see rank in officials. You have different military ranks. That doesn't mean that somebody is, that's under rank is less valuable as a person. In Galatians 3.28, Paul says this so clearly. There is neither Greek or Jew nor Greek, neither is there slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We see that we all have an equal standing in front of God. So don't hear women are here and men are here. That is absolutely not how God sees us. We are both made in the image of God. We are both completely made in the image of God. We are equal before God. The problem is our culture has decided that equal means same. And those two words are not equivalent. Equal and same are not the same and the ridiculous of this notion can be seen no, matter, no, no closer than emojis of pregnant men. I know that's a very offensive statement, but men cannot be pregnant because men and women are not the same. We are equal, but we are not the same. I have no womb. I cannot bear a baby. You men out there, you can't either. And no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard whatever hormones you take, you will not be able to bear a baby because God did not make you that way. Does that mean that we're inferior to women? That women are up here and men are down here because we can't do that thing? No, we are equal, but we are different as far as that. So, so sameness does not equal uh, equality. And I think that's something that we've really struggled to find in society. That this, our, our society is so confused because no one wants to point out that we, can, that we actually are different. And I pray that as we read God's word that we see that we are different. But it's beautiful difference. It's, it's how it's supposed to be. 
no matter how we slice this word submit, we come to the same conclusion. So th- Paul, through the inspiration and direction of the Holy Spirit, as the God wrote through him, he commands wives to submit to their husbands. And we see this in a parallel passage as he writes to the church of Ephesus in chapter 5, 22 through 24. Read along with me here. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church su- submits to Christ, so also wives should, should submit in everything to their husbands. So we see Paul go even further here and clarify why he is saying what he is saying. And so there's really no way around this word submit. As the, Christ, as, as the church submits to Christ, so the wife submits to, to the husband. And this is an incredibly difficult command because I've heard a lot of women, when you, when you hear this taught, they're like, well, you, you don't know who I'm married to right? I mean, how many times have you heard that? Well, you don't know who I live with. Either he's lazy, he don't do nothing. You know, it's like you wouldn't submit to him. He's not worthy of submission, right? Or he's dominating and he's, he's just too much or, or he's passive or he's whatever. You know, there's so many ways that we see women say, hey, I'm not, I'm not submitting to him because he's not worth submitting to. And frankly, any of you ladies, you're going to find something, some reason not to submit your husband because we're not perfect. And there's always a reason not to submit. And I, my favorite quote, I'll say this, is if my husband were more like Jesus, I'd submit to him too. That's why the church is so easy to submit to Christ, right? And I, I got to admit, that one's true. But well, I digress, so, so we'll move forward. But here, here's the thing. These excuses are not godly excuses. So wives who have, who have kids, you, you don't let one of your kids come to you and say, well, I hit little Johnny. You know, he, he, he took my toy, so I hit him, right? And you wouldn't say, Okay, that's fine. Since Johnny took your toy, it was perfectly fine that you hit him, right? So we would not allow our children to, to determine obedience relatively. We wouldn't say, well, you have a relative obedience. So if somebody sins against you, you're allowed to sin against, th- sin against them. Well, the same is true in marriage. Just because your husband is not the perfect guy, even if he's you know, somewhat of a punk, you still are to submit. But there is a very important but here. And everything in relation to Christ. So Christ is the head, and everything Christ says in his word trumps anything that your husband says. And so I think we need to say, before we get into what this biblical submission practically looks like, we need to take one step back and say, what does it not look like? And most importantly, it does not look like abuse. And I think this is not taught enough in our churches, but it is not abuse. And so here's the thing. A wife's first responsibility is to Christ. It's to his word. And so if a husband asks a wife to do something against the word of God, the answer is no. And the answer is to actively resist that husband in those areas. If it's something not pertaining to sin, then you should submit, even if he's an unbeliever. That's tough. That's a whole other sermon. Um, but, but if you read the scriptures, it does say that a wife still is to submit to an unbelieving husband as long as he is not in sin or forcing her to sin, right? But in the in the in the, in the if there's overt abuse, if there's something like that, I want to know about it. If, if there's anything, talk to Lauren or me. We would love to kind of come alongside you and try to help. Uh, if there's an issue in your marriage, if there's, if, even if it's not abuse and it's just an issue, we'd love to counsel through some things. So I want to throw that out there. But, but here's the big thing. The church should always support a wife who's resisting the sin of her husband. That is not okay. Never okay. And we as this church and in the local church, if need, if need be, we will get a local, local authorities involved because these are big issues that are not mentioned in the church. And so although we do teach complementarianism, biblical ma- male headship in the church, we do not teach a domineering and abuse 
abusive relationships. So we will stand against that, and I pray that you stand with me on that. I know it's an uncomfortable aside, but it's something that's just not mentioned in our churches enough, and women need to know that, hey, we're safe here, you know, that, that, that we are going to be protected by the men of this church, and so I pray that we are there. So submission, how does it practically look? And so, number one, honoring and respecting your husband. So we see that in Ephesians 5.33. You can look up some of these verses afterwards. I'm going to say a few of them. But, and the second one would be understanding the headship of the husband and supporting him in leadership of the family. As an aside, Genesis 2 is up there. And a lot of times people will say, well, you know, male headship just happened after the fall, right? I mean, so the woman's desire to rule over her husband at that point. But no, male headship started in Genesis 2 when, when the world was perfect. So you see Adam's created and Eve is created as a helper. There is a headship there. There is a marriage relationship, equal but different, right? Eve is created different, and, and they're created to, to, to be equal but not the same. Genesis 3, though, changed the game. Genesis 3, when sin entered the world, it wasn't that males became the head of the family. It was the females wanted to be the head. And now there was enmity, and there was clashing between the two genders, between the husband and the wife. And hit, her desire would be to rule over him, but he would rule over her, right? So that was a result of sin. So many people understand that, misunderstand that idea. Just like work. Work was created before the fall. It became harder after the fall, right? So we are made to work. To, to cl further clarify this male headship, it doesn't mean that wives are silent in the relationship. You are equal, and there should be much dialogue before any big decision is made. The husband and the wife should, should sit down, should talk. The husband should humbly listen to, to the wife through those things. Her opinion does matter in the relationship. Oftentimes, we see that a husband may miss a lot of big things. A husband, sometimes we're a little thick-headed, and sometimes we don't see the right thing. Sometimes we get hyper-focused. We're a little more simple with, with how we hyper-focus sometimes. And a, and a wife can really help us see things that we maybe, maybe missed before. However, the big final decisions of the home do fall on the husband, and the husband is judged accordingly in Scripture. The husband is held to a higher standard by God, even, with, when it comes to the family. If you see women can serve in Bible studies and can lead certain things, and it doesn't actually say uh, that that her husband, the way he acts, is going to affect whether she can lead. But when we see deacons, when we see elders and pastors, we do see if the wife is irreverent or if the kids are not obedient, you disqualify yourself. And so we see this, this, this heavy, heavy hand toward the husband as the head. And some may balk at this understanding. They're like, well, that sounds so patriarchal. And it's like, okay, uh, our culture screams at the thought of that word. And although this word can be used in the wrong context, it can be used as, uh, you know, a dominating male leadership. It can be, you know, abusive. Like we, we've seen that in the past, obviously. But the most accurate definition of patriarchy is actually families are, are, are developed and split apart based on male headship. And that is what the Bible does teach. So if that is your definition of patriarchy, yes, men are called to be the heads of family. It's the word of God. I know, I realize this is incredibly offensive to feminism, but it's the word of God and it's what it says. And so we need to obey it. This, this view of marriage is often referred to as complementarianism, which means that we are equal before God, but we have different, different uh, roles in the marriage relationship. As we move forward, we're going to talk about husbands, and we're going to see that husbands aren't to be a dominating force of leadership, but a humble servant leader. And that brings us to our second point. Brace yourselves, husbands. Christ is glorified by godly husbands. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Thus far, I'm sure many of the husbands here are like, 
man, I love this sermon. This is my favorite sermon I ever heard. You know what? Like, I am, I love this. And then you get to this verse, and it's like, dude, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty light after that first one. It's like, all right, wives submit, and husbands love your wives. Dude, check. I love her. I think she's pretty cool. You know, like, I, I'm, I'm doing all right, man. You know, thanks for the sermon. Let's go ahead and get out of here. Let's go get some Taco Bell. You know, like, we're, we're, we're ready to go, or I guess uh, we get and go to Rio. Um, you know, let, let, let's do this thing. So at first glance, and especially in English, it seems pretty easy. But when you, when you dig deeper, and you look at the Scripture, and you look at the parallel Scriptures, it's a lot harder than that. This word love is agape, and we've mentioned that many, many times. It's a selfless, sacrificial love. It's not just a feeling or an emotion. It's a sacrificial love. When we look at Ephesians 5.25, we see this. Husbands, love your wives as what? Christ loved the church. And what did he do? And gave himself up for her. Ouch. All right, husbands. Like, submission sounded pretty bad at first. Like, you know, wives were sitting there like, man, I don't like that. Like, you know, my husband, he's kind of a jerk sometimes. I don't really want to submit to that. But now you just saw, man, he's supposed to, like, lay his life down for you. Like, now, all of a sudden, you see, okay, maybe this biblical teaching's not so bad. You know, maybe God knows what he's doing with this whole marriage thing. And now men are kind of like, let's, let's just go and get out of here before this gets too ugly. Uh, you know, like, I, I like this until then. Because this, this word here, this sacrifice, is actually harder and should be harder than submission. Right? The church submits to Christ, meaning that he, he leads us. Right? He is the great shepherd. We are, the, I'm the under shepherd. We are his people. And so we submit to him. But he's perfect. And he laid his life down for us. Right? He died on the cross for our sins. It's, 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 pretty, it's pretty easy to submit to someone who's willing to die for you. And so here's the thing. Us as husbands, that's how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live and mirror Christ, right? We, we should be able to tell our wives, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm going to do what Christ does. And obviously we're going to be imperfect in that. And, and we're going to blow it. But that should be our goal. That should be how we're going. So how does this practically look in marriage? It, it's dying to your own desires and wants and living to the needs of your family. Husbands, if you like golf or you like some kind of hobby, sometimes that Saturday comes and it's like, well, I'm going to go do this, I'm going to go do that. Man, I really just want to veg out. I've been, you know, I've been working a lot. I want to have this time alone with the dudes. We're going to go to the fellas. We're going to go do this. But your wife and your kids haven't seen you very much because you've been working a lot the past week and they have this need to be around you. Sometimes that looks like saying, okay, I'm, I'll stay home. That's tough. Sometimes it's, it's laying your hobbies down at the foot of the cross. Sometimes it's laying your interests, the sports, it's laying something at the foot of the cross. But your family's needs and your wife's needs must be a priority over your own wants and desires. I'm not saying it's a sin to go golfing, it's a sin to do hobbies, but I think most men in our culture, in American culture, spend much more time playing outside the home than they do living inside the home and being a godly man, a godly father, and a godly husband. Husband, step up. Another example is you're looking to purchase a new home, and one home has this beautiful kitchen. Your wife loves to cook and provide for the family that way, and, man, it's just the perfect kitchen. But the garage is kind of small, and it doesn't have a man cave. The other one has this man. It's this nice man cave. Got, it's perfect. It's got this three-car garage. You could just do everything you wanted to in there, but the kitchen's like a little cracker box. Which one do you think you should go with, man? 
right? Our job is to lay our life down. Obviously, man cave isn't a need. It would be more of a want anyway. Uh, so, but, but our job is to sacrificially lead our families, to lay our own interests and desires and wants down for our families. As husbands, God calls us to sacrificially love our wives. We look after her interests before our own. I'm sad to say there aren't a ton of men who do this, though. We are not great at this. And I feel like a lot of feminism is a result of us not doing that. And here are three pitfalls, I think, that have led to feminism, to be honest, and have led to men dropping the ball. Number one is feminine men. Feminine men. Number two is domineering men. And number three is distant men. The first group seems really attractive to dominating women. They love a man who lets them make all the decisions. So a woman in our culture who kind of grows up with this, I don't need anybody, I'm going to take over, you know. My mom had to do everything herself because her husband was a deadbeat. And he, so I'm going to do everything myself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of myself. Well, they love men like this because they, they let them do whatever. But then what happens is things get hard, and there's some big decisions. There's some things that need to happen. And she asked her husband, hey, can you help? What, what do you think here? And he's just... He's passive. What do you want to do? You know, and there's no hero to step in. There's nobody to step up to say, hey, I'll help. I'll help at all. And this wife who thought that she loved running the marriage, this wife who thought she loved telling her husband what to do, you know, like, like just leading in that way, all of a sudden realizes that she has no respect for her husband, that she doesn't really respect him as a man. And what happens is that leads to most divorces. A lot of divorces happen in these situations where the man is just not stepping up. He's not leading and, and the wife thought that's what she wanted, then she, when, when she gets it, she realizes this isn't right. You know, uh, it's the, the, the relationship is tarnished. Men, when, when we look at 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Paul says this. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. So what does it mean to act like a man? Well, there's three statements that are right around that. Tell us, be watchful, protect your family, step up. Guard your family. Guard your children. Guard your home. Make sure the internet is safe for your kids and your wife even, and for yourself first and foremost. Guard, protect your home, protect your marriage, right? Spend that time with your wife. Make sure you're meeting her needs. Make sure you're doing what you need to do. Protect your children. Give them the affection and needs that they, that they have. Uh, so many women go out and they look for a man who's just going to give them some type of attention because their dad doesn't. Step up, man. Be men. B- stand firm in the faith, right? Don't just be this guy who just says one thing but doesn't live it out. Your kids see through that. Be that man who steps up and takes your family to church regularly, that leads them in worship, family devotions, family worship, that asks them how they're doing spiritually, that does Bible studies with your family. Be strong in the strength of the Lord. The second group is domineering men. These men are, take their leadership ultra seriously and ultra out of bounds, right? They, they think their job is to make their wife submit to them. And there is nowhere in Scripture, you can look through Scripture, nowhere in Scripture where we are commanded to make our wives submit to them. Yes, wives are called to submit to their husbands, but it is a willing submission, right? It's just like Christ doesn't make us submit to him. We don't make our wives submit to us. That is sinful to, to dominate your wife in that way. We're going to talk about this a little further in a minute. The third group is, is the distant man. These are the men who are checked out. They're present, but they're not present. 
They, they, these are the men who aren't necessarily dominating and they're not necessarily feminine. They just aren't there. Yeah, they're there, but they're not there. They, 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 don't, they just spend their time ignoring the needs of their wife. And these are the most difficult because they're not overtly confrontational. They don't really seem like they're doing anything wrong. But the number one need of most women, companionship and communication. And when you don't do either one of those, you destroy your wife through your deafening silence. This is you, my friend, repent and engage. We're not called to sit on the sidelines, but to play in the game. And I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter on love. It's a beautiful chapter. I definitely suggest reading it. It's a great marriage chapter. But when we get to the end, 1 Corinthians 13, 11, this distant man just reminds me of someone who needs to hear this. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. It's childish. You see this in kids a lot of times. They, they're not getting along with somebody, so what do they do? They go pout. They just go, and they put themselves in the corner, and they ignore everyone around them. Well, men, don't do that in your relationship. Yeah, marriage is tough, and sometimes your wife might make you mad. Sometimes there's going to be confrontation. There's going to be some issues that are just going, and some things that need to be talked out. And yeah, you, you can't use that excuse like, I'm a man, I just don't talk, right? That's childish. You're like a little kid, and you need to grow up, and you need to step up, and you need to talk with your wife. Your wife's number one and two needs most of the time, almost every time you look, communication, quality time, uh, and, and, and companionship. Like, those are always up there on a woman's need. And so when you are checked out, when you are distant, you're like, well, I don't hit her. I don't yell at her. I do this. I do, I do things around the house. I do everything I can. But you're not there. So not only are you not meeting her needs, but you're setting her up for infidelity. And you are completely, so protect your house. Love your wife. Step up and be a man. We get to the end of that verse. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Do not be harsh with them. This can be active harshness, as we see with that second group of, of dysfunctional men, the domineering man. And, and, and these men use their lower booming voice and their, their size to intimidate their wives. Shame on them act like men. That is not manhood. They ignore the scriptural mandate to be gentle with our, with our wives. We see this in 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. We see here that your prayers are hindered when you are not gentle with your wife. Men, we are to be kind and gentle with our wives. We are not to raise our voice at them. We are not to make any type of, of intimidating demeanor toward them. They should never be scared of us. If they are, that's, that's sin, and you need to deal with that. You need, to, you need to repent of that. I think that this idea that, that men and women are the same has also really crept into this part of the relationship, and has sometimes allowed men to, to maybe be a little bit more dominating or a little bit more sinful in a relationship because of the sameness factor and not seeing our wives as the weaker vessel as we see in the book of Peter. So what we see, and, and we see this no better disproved than Leah Thomas or William Thomas as is proper, right? So, so this guy goes from being the 462nd swimmer in male swimming, he becomes transgender, and what happens? He wins the NCAA women's championship with testosterone blockers, so, yes, men, we are bigger. We are stronger on average. Are there women who are stronger? Yes, there are. But on average, we are bigger and we are stronger. And God has made us that way to protect 
our wives, not to intimidate them, not to harm them physically. We have a lower voice, not to yell at them, not to raise it toward them. We are to be a sacrificial servant, a protector and a lover to our wives. But I would argue that the distant and feminine uh, and effeminate man, men are also causing a lot of damage to their wives. When we look at this Greek word, it's not only harsh, but it can mean embitter. So we can embitter our wives by being distant, by not stepping up, not leading. And that is just as dangerous, if not more so sometimes. Man, I charge you. Act like men. Be strong. Be courageous. Protect your home. Stand firm in the faith, but be gentle and sacrificial. Be present, not just in body, but in mind and in heart and in spirit in your homes. Lead. Love your wives as Christ loves the church. As we come to a close, I want to give a quote by, by Gary Thomas regarding marriage. What if God designed marriage to make you holy instead of happy? I think that's a paradigm shift of how we think about marriage. We think about marriage as happy, not holy. I want you to chew on that for a minute while we look at Ephesians 5.32 again from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Marriage is not about you first and foremost. I think that we got to get that through our heads, that marriage is not about you first and foremost. It is about God's glory, and he shows his glory through marriage, through a covenant, covenantal, uh, non-breakable union between a man and a woman. He also uses it to sanctify you. Marriage is meant to be a place where you grow closer to Christ, where you sharpen one another, where you point each other toward Christ. Not you or your spouse, but Christ has to be the focal point. And our marriages need to be gospel-centered. Uh, it needs to be all around the saving work of Jesus Christ on that cross. In order for you to be, to be the husband and wife that God's called you to be, first and foremost, you must be born again. You must have repented of your sins and turned to Jesus Christ for salvation, for there is no name under which one may be saved other than Jesus Christ. And there is no way for you to truly agape love your spouse unless you have the true one who can agape love living inside of you. And until you are born again, until the Holy Spirit has filled you and you've repented of your sins, you've turned to him, you've confessed your faith in Jesus Christ, who was 100% God, 100% man, died on the cross some 2,000 years ago, raised from the dead, now sits at the right hand of the Father. Until you put your faith in, in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, alone, you can't ever be the husband or wife that God's called you to be. If, if you haven't done that, I'd love to talk to you after, after the service about what that means. Even if you're younger and you're like, I'm not even near marriage, well, you want to prepare for marriage, the best way you can do it is be saved be saved. If you are someone here and you're having marital problems and you're like, man, this is hitting me pretty hard. I haven't been the husband that I should have been. I, I have not been the wife that I should have been, and I need to talk. Uh, Lauren, I would love to meet with you. Uh, Lauren can meet with ladies. I can meet with men, and then we can always meet together as well. I'd love to meet with you and talk about this. This is a huge passion of Lauren and I. That's why we're Christ Cross Point Family Church. We are a family of believers, obviously. We want to be a, a church family, but we know that Satan desires nothing more than to still kill and destroy our families. And he is coming after your marriage. He's coming after your children. And we want nothing more than to step in there with you all, bring the word of God and say, hey, not in our house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may we preach that in our homes. As men, may we lead in that way. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God, I pray that every man here says that, every wife, every woman here says that, whether they're single, whether they're married, whether they're divorced, whatever that is, 
We want to serve you from here on out. We know that there is redemption, that there is forgiveness for our past sins. We know that we might have blown it as a husband or a wife. But God, you forgive us. And we can move forward in that grace and that mercy. And we know that you can heal broken relationships, that you can heal broken marriages. God, we pray that you do offer that supernatural healing that you can do in lives. And for those, those marriages that, are, that, that, that can't be restored at this point, for whatever reason that may be, God, we know that you can offer your balm, that you can offer your peace that surpasses all understanding, knowing that we are forgiven by grace through faith. That although we cannot work for salvation, we also cannot do a work that is so bad that you cannot save us. And we thank you so much for that truth. God, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. Help us to go out and be the husbands and wives, the sons and daughters, the sisters and brothers of Christ that we need to be, and help us to speak truth everywhere that we are. We love you, Lord. Amen.